Uh, spent a little over 20 years in the big leagues and a gentleman who was there every one of those years and probably 20 before and another 10 or 15 after. Peter Gammons is going to join me shortly and he is in the Baseball Hall of Fame, rightly so. Uh, he has been uh, one of the more recognizable. I think he's one of the men responsible for the rise uh, of baseball on ESPN and baseball uh, just as a sport. Uh, so without further ado, Peter Gammons. Joining me now is the definition of a lifer, um, and and that was never a, a bad thing uh, when I played. A lifer is someone who spent their life committed and dedicated to something, and this next man in the Baseball Hall of Fame, deservedly so, uh, is the definition of a lifer. He is the one and only Peter Gammons. Pete, good morning. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. It's great to see you. It really it's, is. It, it's good to see you. It's been too long. It really has. Um. I'm going to get right into it. Listen, I, I said I thought when I retired that baseball was at its peak, its apex with young talent. Um, but I I'm, I was wrong. Over the last 10 years, some of the stuff that we've seen in the big leagues, some of the players that we've seen uh, are as good as any players that have ever lived and ever played the game. I've, I've said to a fault, I think Mike Trout will be the greatest hitter anybody alive ever sees if he stays healthy when he's done. But I got to ask you, uh, Shoy Otani – I, I don't even know how to describe it. I, I I I mean it's not it's it's not Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth didn't actually pitch and play every day for for a significant amount of time or in a meaningful way. He did one or the other. Otani, what he's doing now, uh, I've never seen anything like it. You've been around the game a little longer than I have. Any comparisons for you? No, just because no one's done it the way he's done it. I mean, there are people who have pride those. A kid from the University of Louisville was the fourth pick of the country. Great hitter, really good pitcher, but he wore out immediately in the minor leagues. Already gone through two serious operations, and because it's really hard to do physically. I mean, there were guys back in the fifties, or sometimes even early sixties, uh, Willie Smith and a couple of other guys that did it, but not like this. Not every day like this. And a good friend of mine. He used to go uh, was scouting what first for the Red Sox, then with the Dodgers. <clears throat> was going over to Japan. Knew him very well. Used to love him because he's a very nice person. He also lived in a very small town, so it, his culture was 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 really interesting. It's also close to ski country, and my friend liked to ski, so that was <laughs> part of it. But he used to tell me, I, I really don't know exactly who he will end up being. As a baseball player, he can fly, he can really run. He's got great power. He's a tr tremendous arm. It's He thought he would be a center fielder in the major leagues. As it turned out, he came over and he proved he could do it. My question is, are other kids in this country who can pitch and hit, are they going to try it? And could they ruin their careers trying to be the second Otani? I hope it's not true, but it does say something about just the impact he's had on the sport. Yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, somebody you and I both know, somebody I that's very close to me, uh, Dave Hollins' youngest son, Bo, who is uh, uh, moving into his senior year in high school next year, uh, I think will be the first pick in the draft coming out of high school. Uh, he's the first person I've ever seen that can do both. He's a left-handed pitcher. He's 6'4", 225, 230. He's uh, low low 90s right now. Uh, I've been working with him for about a year and a half on the mound. 
uh, and he uh, led the country in home runs this year. Uh, gold glove first baseman, phenomenal athlete. Um, and and we've been working with the – he wants to do both. And he's the first person I've seen with the athletic ability, I think, to do both, which – which uh, uh, and, you know, he's got Dave Hollins' intensity, um, but he actually acts like he loves the game when he's playing it, which makes him different than his dad. <laughs> but he's he's a special, special talent that I think – but but you're right. And um, I don't wonder, though, if the, if the, if the way the game is being played now – with the expanded roster and the bullpens and the guys that are openers and all the other things, the immense value. I mean, look at a guy like Dalton Barsho, who who he might not be at the top of any offensive category, but the value on a 26-man roster is immense. It's immeasurable. Guy can play center field and legitimately catch. The versatility thing, I think, is going to be a big deal moving forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and I find it interesting to how many <clears throat> young players now are moving around, whether it's in structural league or in the minor leagues, especially if they can run. They can play shortstop and second base and center field. Uh, it's it's an important part of the game. And, and um, looking for that versatility, I, I my only question is, do they, do they end up being not quite as good yeah. at one position yep. as they might have been? Yep, that, that's and that I, that's absolutely the the thing about it is that the Otani screws up the bell curve, right? I mean, you're looking at a guy with 100 steel speed, 50 home run power, and 300 strikeout arm. Like it's almost like you and I could sit here and say, okay, listen, I want you to pick the best tools from all the players and build me the a ball player, and it would be this kid. That that's what we're we're looking at, like a transformer in many ways, in the sense that he is. And you know what? Baseball has to be on its knees, grateful that he's a phenomenal. Seems to be a phenomenal human being. He's a good teammate. He's a good guy. Um, he's brought a ma well, much like Nomo did when I think when he came in, that the the influx of Japanese fans uh, is not a small thing, especially as the game tries to grow itself universally. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I remember it was during the strike that um, that Nomo came over. And I can remember going up to Dodger Town, and, you know, he was there. And, like, the press conference was one of the most awkward things that I, I'd ever, ever experienced. And, you know, nobody knew quite what to do, and they sort of downplayed it. And, I, you know, I thought – I agree with you. I think he had a tremendous impact on the sport and because he showed – yeah, you can come over from Japan and be a really first-rate starting pitcher and a horse and a guy that absolutely – I thought he was one of the toughest guys out there yeah. on the mound. It kind of broke a, 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 a stereotype that really didn't exist. But that was a fascinating time. And, I mean, we're seeing it more. I think one of the reasons that that we – the talent level is so high, you look at it like, Acuna and so many of of the really great Latin players, it's so different than well when when you were first signed, and and it was very different. Today they they there's so much training as far as learning English, being accepted. I mean, I remember being in Winter Haven, Florida, with the Red Sox, oh. and it was almost like it was segregation. I yeah. mean, the, the Latin players ate at a different time, ate in a different place. They they basically hung out with one another, and you know I sometimes think 
gee, how many players did we lose? Yep. But, you know, I don't go back in history and say, well, they should have done this. Right. It, it just, it had to evolve. And it did. Right, so right. I'm and, not yeah. condemning. I'm not saying anybody no, was no. racist. But, but it's but, just but, that. Right. That we weren't His- ready for it. History is replete with those things. And and Monday morning quarterbacking that is pointless. Um, you know, the, the the people reflected the times that they lived in. Uh, as horrific as it was, um, it gave us Jackie Robinson. You know, it gave us the Kurt Floods. Uh, uh, guys, the, the Juan Marichals, guys who were born out of uh, necessity, I think. for And if you look at the sea change in this country from a cultural and societal perspective – there are many occasions where baseball it's as a sport and the athletes in it were at the forefront uh, of, of leading changes. And, you know, you can go back and look at the ownership and say, you know, this owner was this and this owner was that. And they, there were some bad people. And that but that's that's every profession, every walk of life and every generation. Um, it, the unfortunate part, P, I think, is that that that. Uh, the story, you know, I'll give you the, a great example. How I, I think how a lot of us viewed people in the media from this perspective, it never failed. On the day after the Hall of Fame was announced, the voting, every year, every conversation and every sports talk show and every newspaper was about the guys that didn't get voted in instead of being centrally focused on the people that did. I couldn't agree more. I, and, I I, yeah. Now I feel badly. Last year, I felt very badly for Billy Wagner and Todd Hilton and some of the people that I thought belong in there. But you know, it, it, it. I just sort of thought, well, they both got really close. Now I, I think uh, I think Billy will make it next year, and I I think Todd Hilton will make it. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who wait a long time and, yeah. and go into that last year. I mean, Alan Trammell went down to the, the last year and. Like within two votes, well, to it, make it. the frustrating part, Pete, I think from a player's perspective, and I said it during the 10 years I was on the ballot, my vote total changed every year and I didn't strike anybody out after I retired, <laughs> you know, and, 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 but you do understand. And the, the hard part is, and the challenge in, in commenting. And obviously, you know, when I talk about the sports media, it's not all inclusive. Nothing ever is right. There's always acceptance to the rule. And there are always people that fall outside the lines. And my, perspective of it was if people like Tim Kirchin and you and and uh, uh, Jason Stark, if if all of the people that put out ballots gave that the amount of time and effort and energy that you guys do, there would be no problem. Kenny Lofton wouldn't have been off the ballot after one time, which is an absolute crime. Um, there would be far more 100% guys in the Hall of Fame as there should be. Um, and, and that, that's the frustrating part, but it is what it is. And, and, and it's a process, you know, people talk about, uh, uh, am I disappointed? Well, uh, I think I, the only disappointment comes for the people in my life that made it possible being able to recognize, I think that's what the hall of fame is for a player. It's the ability to stand up and, and lay down the foundation and life that you lived and show the reasons why you're there. And it always goes back to your mother, your father, your family, your friends, your little league coaches, the same group of people, albeit in different circles for different players, every single time. And um, now it, it, it's 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 interesting. But like I said, yeah, this this is it's it's you know we talk about a, a great example. You talk about the MVP votes or the Cy Youngs. The conversation of the day after is, oh my gosh, I can't believe he lost instead of 
well, this guy won unanimously, and he should have. And that's, but it's also, I think, Pete, a reflection of the world we live in these days. You know, uh, uh, in a sense, glamour. I say glamour when I say negativity sells, and that's that's the thing. Oh, that I sucks. agree with that. Yeah, no, but in your in your case, um, about I don't know when the year that Pedro and uh, Randy both made it. Yeah. During that year, there had been two or three stories written with their candidacy. Uh, well, you know, uh, Kurt Schilling didn't get along with them. So <laughs> on the day after the the, the, the induction ceremony, I do a, 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 a round table with those who made it. And uh, so I'm sitting between Randy and Pedro. And um, so I... May I asked uh, what they thought that they wished that you were there with them. The answer, Randy said, "It's ridiculous that he's not." And he and he said, and he said it very well. He said, "We we competed with one another, not against one another." He said, "I'm not sure I'd be here today if it weren't for Kurt Schiller." Pedro then said, "My career got extended." for two or three years because of the preparation I learned from Kurt. He taught me how better to prepare, and it made me a much better pitcher. Of course I think he should be here. And I just thought, you know, well, why did I, they first, ask those two guys? <laughs> let me just say this. I, I sincerely appreciate you saying that because uh, the conversation that, my, you know, my wife, Shonda, uh, my wife and I had, 1992, after I had had my first year in the big leagues and had success, we were laying in bed one night talking and she asked me, you know, what do you want? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, at the end, when you look back on your career, what do you want? I said, I want two things. I want to win the Roberto Clemente award and I want to walk away from the game. And every person that I suited up with, I want them to say life or death, one game, who do you give the ball to? I want them to say me. Those are the two things. And and I feel like I well, I know I got the first one. And the second one, I feel pretty comfortable that most of the guys I played with would that would be their answer. Um, because Pete, I, I I, you know, you are in the legacy business, um, in the sense that you can uh write about, create, uh, and and paint the picture of a legacy. And when I look at Clemens and I look at Bonds, um, the greatest picture of my well, I still think Maddox is the greatest pitcher that ever lived, but Rogers right there. Um, when you look at the best hitter and pitcher from my era and a rod, they're not in the hall of fame, but I don't know that that's as bothersome. I think to them as it would be for me, they don't have their legacy is, is never going to be, and you can't buy it. You, it it's something you have to earn. Um, and, uh, you know, listen, I'd be the first one to tell you, Pete, I don't do what I do without Roger Clemens. Without him pulling me aside in the locker room in 1991, my life doesn't change the way it changed. And I, I was the last guy. Uh, and, and and you were in clubhouses all over the country all the time every year. I always, I was the last guy in Major League Baseball saying, no, he didn't cheat. No, he didn't cheat. I to the I died on that hill where everybody else was saying, now it's obvious. And and I think once you understand the life, you know, listen, he didn't. I don't believe he did it straight. That doesn't change the fact that the man made my career something other than what it would have been, which is also why, Pete, when everybody asked me about the best game and the most biggest game, Game 7 of the 2001 World Series was the – was I couldn't have dreamt that script 
I'm starting game seven after 9-11 against the New York Yankees. Roger Clemens is on the other mound, and both of us led the league in wins, and it's for all the marbles in one of the most uh, viewed World Series that ever lived. No, that's just that's that's Hollywood where somebody writes a script and you go, no, that's not realistic. Throw that out. And I got to experience that. So, you know, and the Clemente thing, honestly, Pete, um, I went to one game in my life. And and you, I'm sure you remember the game. You might not have been there. I was a paid fan in one game in my entire life. My dad took me to the final game of the 72 season between the Pirates and the Mets when Clemente doubled off John Matlack for his 3,000th career hit and then died two weeks later in the plane crash. It was the first time I ever saw my dad cry. And my dad held Clemente in uh, uh, such esteem that when I heard and understood what the award was, that was the award I wanted to win. Because that, to me, spoke to who I was outside the uniform and the family and getting to meet them. And you know the Clemente family. Uh, uh, phenomenal human beings who have continued to do good. And I still believe his 21 should be retired. I agree. I, I I really do because for another thing, well, it's terribly important that baseball expanded. It took in Latin America. I mean, the, the number of great players, but he represented so many people, and he was the icon. I I can remember going down to do a magazine story on Frank Robinson managing in Santurce. He was still playing. It was, very good active player. He went to tr to get himself ready to manage. I think he managed seven winners in, in San Terce. And, and, and I remember uh, Frank saying, well, now you do. I mean, there, there, there there's a statue of uh, Clemente. I mean, you have gone to see it, right? And, you know, this was 1972 or 73 when I went down there. And he said, you just don't. He is the symbol of this league and the dream of the league. And. And it meant so much to the game. And yeah. we look around today and there are nearly as many Hispanic players as there are, as there are from the United States when you get to the all-star game. Yeah. Good. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump on that. What you just said, two, two things about the men you just talked about. Uh, first off, I believe to this day that Frank Robinson is the most underrated hall of fame player in the hall of fame. I, when you talk about the best ever, I still believe he's in the top five conversation based on the people that, first of all, knowing him, <laughs> number one, but more importantly, based on his numbers, what he did and talking to people. I remember I got to interview Bob Gibson and, you know, everybody said, oh, Bob was a headhunter, this and that. And Bob said, you know, first of all, no, I didn't try to hit most people. And secondly, why the hell would I try and hit Frank Robinson? Because every single time I hit him, he homered off me on the next at bat. So no, I wasn't trying to hit him. Um, so, but I do believe that. Secondly, I've never been able to ask somebody this, and you're the first person I've ever been. What was Roberto Clemente like? He was soft-spoken, uh, very respectful. And in those days, though, um, most of the Latin players were a little reticent. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Orlando Cepeda wasn't, but Cha-Cha was, was always a character, and a lovable character. But... Uh, Roberto was, and I, I think, and a couple of people had told me this, that he was a little uh, withdrawn in that earlier in his career, when he, when sometimes he was hurt, played so hard and so recklessly, running into walls and all the rest, 
people were always jaking it, you know, and, and yeah, that really bothered him terribly. And, and uh, I think he was a little shy about about the media, which had no well, problem saying he's jaking it without even really talking to medical people or the player himself. So there you go. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I certainly did. Um, anytime you get a chance to talk to somebody who's been around the game, and he is a lifer, like I said. He, he's been around the game since long before I was born uh, and long after I retired. And uh, always great to hear and tell stories of people like that. So thanks again to Pete and uh, to Cal for making that happen. <laughs>